Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. WFAN, WFAN-FM, New York. It is Sunday morning on Sports Radio 66, WFAN, and on Sports Radio 1019, WFAN-FM. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Bob Salter. Hey, we're a week away from that time of the year when it stays daylight longer. It's coming soon, soon. Hopefully you survived that wicked weather. My goodness, wasn't that a lot of fun? Great way to end last week. Remember, it's still March, folks. Well, we've got a doozy of a show today. We love when this happens. Doesn't happen often enough. First hour of our program, we are joined by a guest in studio. Yep, a guest in studio. I enjoy when that happens. And I especially enjoy a case like today when our guest actually was early. (laughs) (laughs) Early. That's the the beautiful part about it. Uh, Her name is Ruka Curate. She is in studio with us. She's going to share with us an interesting story in terms of... um, things that she has been involved in. We're also going to be talking about a case in the news that many people have heard of. In many cases, you probably have forgotten, uh, but it does have some very troubling aspects uh, to us, to it. First of all, it's nice to have you join us on our program. Thank you so much, Bob, for having me. And thank you for uh, being here, being in early, for coming in as well. I love being on time. <laughs> uh, I can tell that. That's a good thing, you know. It's a, I, it's a beautiful thing on Sunday morning to be on time. I especially enjoy this aspect of being here several hours early. Now, <laughs> it's not like that's a thing that I normally practice because a lot of the time in the rest of the week, I'm pushing it, and sometimes I'm, mm. I'm late. I'll be very honest with you. <laughs> the good thing about it is it's completely out of my hands when I get on a train because then I'm not in control of I the transportation. I understand right? that. And that's why I leave as early as I do on, in the morning to get here on uh, Sundays, too. Now, your background, you are a former 
Nanny, which kind of helps to set the stage for the discussion that we're going to have today. I'm always curious about that profession. We've touched upon this uh, once or twice before on this program. Two thoughts come to mind. For some people, they may not know exactly what a nanny does, but the other thought is, what attracted you to that field? (laughs) This is a good question. So I can start by saying a nanny is an individual, or manny, because there are male caregivers now, that is usually hired to come into the home and take care of the children. These individuals are really invested in the emotional, physical, and social well-being of the children. Um, That being said, I'm the oldest of five, and I've always been surrounded by children. Um, And I I just love it, like the, the innocence of a child, the creativity, how much fun you can just have being around children. And when asked one day, and it was in church, like, hey, Ruka, would you like to babysit? I'm like, sure, why not? And it just pretty much started a career path for me that I didn't know I was going to walk because my background is in biochemistry and neuroscience. So I'm, I'm geeky. I, 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 I love to study. I love to, to learn. And when I was a nanny, I would learn about child development on my own. I self-studied. I would learn about being able to, you know, like what stages is the child going through? Because I didn't know this when I first started as a nanny. Like, like what is he supposed to do now? Like, okay, how do I prepare him for a meal? Like just going through different stages and learning different things just propelled me in, into a career that I eventually fell in love with. And now I own a nanny agency. And <laughs> All right, I gotta. I want to get into talking about that as well. But let me ask you because you mentioned in your background neuroscience <laughs> and biochemistry. I was pretty sure I was going to be a doctor. I was. I was. That was what I was gearing into. I was. I wanted to be a medical scientist. I wanted to do research and study adolescence and child behavior and. Mm. N- you know, just the morphology of the brain at a specific age. And I realized that in order to do this, you have to invest yourself into this career. And I, I, I was a nanny for a long time. I wanted to be a mom. So I had to choose between, you know, being this medical scientist and often giving up the opportunity to be around family or just being in a career or, you know, doing something where I'm still around children or work with children but still have an opportunity to have a family, which is what I did. Being a nanny, the first thought that comes to my mind, well, there's two thoughts. One is uh, I'm cynical. I'm skeptical. Okay, <laughs> So I'm immediately going to think, hey, man, who wants to be bothered with this? It's somebody else's children. You got to, And then it gets into the second thought, which is the big R, responsibility. Yes. That's a whole lot of responsibility. It's one a huge responsibility. And what most people don't understand is just that it's very different than being a mom. I, I was a nanny and I'm a mom. And I tell even my clients now that it's very different, but the responsibilities are still the same. You are there to ensure that this child is safe. You're there to ensure that they're loved and they feel comfortable and they feel you know, confident in themselves. This is what you're supposed to do. You're responsible for the well-being of this individual who is one day 
the future of the world, the future of, you know, children are our future. They are the ones that are going to make decisions later on. And you need to make sure that you start as early as possible, making them feel confident and secure in the world that we live in. Okay. Now, there's so many thoughts that are swimming <laughs> through my head. And it's interesting because I just realized, too, that controlling us from a technical standpoint today is someone who's a new dad. Oh, relatively congratulations. Okay. Uh, Brian Rascona. And one of the things that I think of is this whole idea of for new parents, what this must be like, especially for the moms, the idea of relinquishing their child. Oh, it's not easy. It's never going to be easy. You're always, I, I tell people, you're, you're going to have mommy guilt. Because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving my child with someone else. I, I, I have this stranger sometimes, or even a family member like a mother-in-law or or a grandmother coming in and taking care of, of the child. But it's it's very different because there's so many ways that you want to be involved. You want to be able to sit there and say like, oh, I want her to start eating this first. I want her to be exclusively breastfed. I want her to be able, you know to sit there and, and play and have tummy time. There's so much you want to do as a parent, but when you have to go back to work, you don't have that you don't have that opportunity and you have to give, you know, your child to someone else and it can be heartbreaking. The first time I left my daughter with someone, and mind you, I've been a nanny and I I'm there to make my clients or my the families I work with feel really confident and comfortable, you know, leaving their child with me, but the first time I had to leave mine with someone else, I I cried. <laughs> I was I was devastated. So it it's it's really hard. What what do you think was the motivation for you crying at that time? not being sure that they can take care of my child the way mm -hmm. I can. Mm -hmm. Like like I was very sure like no one can make her feel the way I can. No one can comfort her. And I just had to realize that I'm not always going to be there for her and I have to give her the opportunity to bond with other people and get to know other people in her life. And I, I didn't want to, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had, I had to let that go. Now, starting the um, firm that you have, what was that experience like? Oh, that was that was easy. I it almost like it was almost like it fell into my lap. I had it where years ago, other mothers would ask me because I felt like I was a super nanny. I loved my job. I loved being a nanny. I a worked super for, nanny. I felt like I uh, most parents who knew me would call me a super nanny. I loved being around children and I was the nanny that you would see at the park mm -hmm. never on her phone I would have for example the three <laughs> boys I would work with I would have the three boys with me and we're running around the park with probably 10 other children you know and I was the nanny that other nannies would say you like your job too much but I I loved what I did it was <laughs> fulfilling to me so I I, <laughs> I find it interesting because you know, after a while, parents would poach me, and which one of my bosses, she really hates the story because they poached me at an amusement park and she was right next to me. And they're like, hey, um, are you currently, you know, looking for another position or would you... <laughs> You know, like like one parent, he was just like, he came to me at the park. He's just like, I'll pay you double of whatever they're paying you now. And that just 
it never sat well with the people that I've worked with. But I started having people ask me, do you know anyone who's like you? And I was already part of a nanny group, so most of us shared our experiences, and we would recommend each other to jobs. So it, if I would... If I knew someone who was looking for someone, I would ask one of my friends, hey, do you know anyone? And we would talk to the girl and see if she had experience and recommend her to the family until one day a parent was just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to pay you. And I'm like, oh, shucks, this is a business? <laughs> and I just, it it just it started from there, and it was good. I, I love it. What's the response been? Um, Really, really positive. I feel very, very fortunate. I've I've had families that, I've already known that we're happy to, you know, through word of mouth, tell other people about me. And at the same time, I've been able through with the use of like social media, get parents and families and friends to say, hey, you know, just use um, Ruka's agency. She's good at vetting. She's good at making sure that the candidate has real experience. And we work really, really hard to ensure that the individuals that are working with these families are you know, who they say they are, are really experienced, have great references, and love what they're doing. At least for me, it's important that a nanny that goes through my agency wants to be a nanny. It's not an individual that, hey, I just need a gig till I get my next <laughs> shot. No, that, that doesn't work for me. Because I, when I was a nanny, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is not something I couldn't see myself doing for the rest of my life. So, it was. It's just important for me to have someone who loves and values this job and looks at it as a career. Your firm is Tiny Treasures. Yes. New York City. We'll give you the contact information for that as we continue in our discussion. We're talking with Ruka Curate on our program, and we've just begun this discussion. We'll get into talking about this interesting case and trial as well, and we'll also talk with her about this uh, vetting process, which is a very interesting aspect of our discussion here on The Fan. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We are in a discussion with Ruka Curate, who is on our program. She has joined us. Um, she is talking with us. Uh, we've really touched a little bit on this uh, profession of uh, nanny in the beginning of our discussion. We're about to get into talking about a um, case involving a Manhattan nanny that has um, garnered headlines. It's um, very bizarre uh, story in a way. Uh, Ruka has also mentioned that she started a, a firm called Tiny Treasures NYC. It's on the web, by the way, at Tiny Treasures. That's with, with an S N Y C. That's all as one word. Dot com. Now, this story that I've alluded to a couple of different times. I wanted to be able to talk a little bit about this because it's part of the reason that we are talking today. There's this trial that has been going on uh, here in the city. It involves this uh, former nanny. I believe her name is Yoselin Ortega. And the allegations against her are bizarre. They're very disturbing. Um, and they involve two children that were under her care. I'd like to get, first of all, your reaction uh, to the news that she was charged and arrested uh, in this case, and also um, perhaps an examination of 
what this has meant uh, for the profession and perhaps for the way in which the profession is looked at? First of all, I have to say that this story is devastating. It's as a mom, I cannot imagine what the family's going through. I would love to take a moment to really to really talk about how grateful one has to be for every day, but I need to apologize to the Krim family because this is the worst thing that can happen to anyone, any any mother, you any any parent. You know, your worst nightmare as a parent is I hope my child is safe and I can keep them safe. But to come home and to have an individual that you trusted allegedly kill your children, I can't begin to imagine what she's been going through or what they're going through. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm disturbed and I'm bothered and it's, it's hard not to get emotional, but it's, it's a terrible story and it's a terrible the whole situation is just really devastating. Um, as far as the nanny industry, I was a nanny when this case um, happened, and it was just a really gloomy time for nannies. Like, we, mm. most of us talked about it. We talked about it with our employers, and it was just about trying to figure out how could you avoid something like this? And And I don't think there's... I don't think you can absolutely try to avoid something like this, but what you can do is take steps to make sure that it doesn't happen to you. But you know, we can't we can't understand why this woman would do this. I mean, I I can't even be- begin to think about it. You know, the the nature of what took place in terms of the attacks on these kids that were in her care is something that we can't imagine. And then there's this other bizarre aspect of this case in that the mom, as I understand it, came home and actually found this woman. I believe she was on the floor, and the thought or allegation is that she was Attempting, I guess, to slash her own wrists or wrists kill, or herself. kill herself in some fashion. I mean, uh, this sort of thing is, it's never easy to understand or to try to put yourself in the place of someone. Um, but again, it gets down to this core issue. And I guess here I have to say, I have to look at this from the standpoint that I don't have children, okay? And there's a very good reason for that. I like to say <laughs> I don't have that much responsibility, okay? yeah. much of a sense of responsibility, okay? And I'm I'm honest about it. Um, doesn't mean that I don't love kids. I do. I love somebody else's kids, right? not mine. That makes sense. Okay? However, at the core of this whole issue, this whole case, we're talking about two children 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 and you think about how innocent they are and especially when they're in the care of someone other than 
their, their parents. parents. Yes. All right. Because yeah. as you said earlier, for a mom or a dad to turn over the care of their child, even if it's for a couple of hours, even if it's for 15 minutes. It's very difficult. Is huge. Yes. Huge. It's heavy on you. Um, so I guess this then takes us to the other aspect of this that you mentioned, and that is how do we get into, or how do you, for lack of a better term, properly vet someone who wants to be a nanny? Um, I always tell even even potential clients or families or friends that try to get an individual who comes from word of mouth, like a friend or family member that can pretty much vouch for this person and say that this person, based on their character, would be a great caregiver for you. I've seen them work or I, I know a lot about them through you know, through the neighborhood and I know this person is going to take care of your child. But even then, as a first time mom, you're not entirely sure, you don't know. And it's, it's, it's a number of steps that I feel like you need to take when trying to employ a stranger into your home and, and looking at, you know, trying to figure out if this person is gonna be the best caregiver for your child. And I would say, you know, first, interview them, interview this person and look for red flags. When you invite a candidate into your home and you're speaking to them and you're asking them questions, you know, see if this individual is really taking this career seriously. If this is something they actually want to do or if it's just another job to them. You know, ask questions about their experience. Do you have experience with infants? Are you CPR certified? Um, have you ever worked with this specific age group before? Because again, a lot of people feel like they can just jump into the nanny field and, and not think about how huge a responsibility it is. And, you know, ask about, you know, Try to see if this individual, because you can't tell from first encounter if the person is honest, but definitely, you know, see if they're engaged and if they're focused and if they're actually going to sit there and, 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 and tell you things that are really, really important. For example, when interviewing a candidate, I think it's important for you to have the children there. Why? To see how they engage with your kids, to see how focus they can be with the children to see if they really actually like children. You could tell if someone doesn't like kids. <laughs> oh, right. Really, really off the bat. Um, that's, that's a big, big problem. You, yeah. <laughs> but again, sometimes people are just motivated by money. Right. There are nannies who do really, really well in this industry. Mm. And someone can sit there and say like, oh, my gosh, this nanny can make $100,000. Oh, I want to be a nanny. And they have no clue how huge the responsibility is of being in care of someone else. Um, and just look at, you know, I always say, like, once you meet the nanny and you feel comfortable about them, check the references. Call individuals that they have worked with. Check I mean, call people that know them, check for character references, call a clergy person, a minister, um, someone who, a professor, you know, just try to get as much information about this person as humanly possible. 
then do a background check. Like once you figure that this is the individual that you want, do a criminal background check. And I think it's important because this is a step that strangely a lot of people skip. They're like, okay, well, I checked the references and my friend said this person is amazing. Even if this person was recommended by your doctor or your closest friend, do a background check because you don't know anything until you do so. For example, we had an amazing candidate that came in last year, great resume, great interview, amazing personality, great experience, references, perfect. But when we did her background check, we learned that she got arrested for child endangerment. That's a big problem. That's huge. But most people, again, the references vouched for them, and they're they're like, this woman is amazing. And I, when I met her, she was amazing. But child endangerment, mm-hmm. that's not the type of person you want taking care of your children. Mm-hmm. Even if it was a mis- mistake on her end, that was a red flag for our agency, and we just left her alone. But the background checks are important. And I would also say if you decide to hire this person, there's nothing wrong with surveillance. There's nothing wrong with using a nanny cam. Why? Because I believe, you know, prevention is better than the care. I, 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 I believe that having the opportunity to see what's going on when the child care provider is in your home is really, really important. Some people don't like the idea of surveillance. Some nannies don't like the idea of surveillance. But in this day and age, you have to understand as a career nanny why someone would have a camera. Don't put it in a private space. Don't put it, you know, in the bathroom mm-hmm. or the bedroom if you have a live-in nanny. But definitely have it. And in my opinion, tell the nanny you have it. Like, I believe that, you know, some people, you know, hide it in teddy bears or in walls and clocks. But I wouldn't even want that. I would want to tell you when you come in, like, hey, we have a nanny cam. We just want you to know. We just want to make sure that our child is okay. And not only that, to check in on them throughout the day. And also to verify if something went wrong. Like, for example, if the child, you know, fell and broke their arm or if the child, you know, wasn't eating properly and just to assess the situation later as parents especially when you're not there and a lot of the people I know that do use nanny cams they do it just to check in like if you're you know in corporate America or or if you're a medical doctor and you don't have time but you can just look at the camera and be like oh my god he's okay or she's okay and just get a chance to look at your child and you know, real time or, you know, a delay time, you feel good. You feel okay. Like, okay, she's fine and you can get back to work and you can focus on the rest of your day. But I, I have, I say this over and over, like trust, but verify definitely, you know, interview the candidate. Don't take anyone's word for it. Do the background checks, check references and, and try to really, really see if, it's going to work for you. Like I always say, trust your gut. You know when meeting a candidate whether or not this person is going to be a good fit for your family. Every family is different. But but I tell the moms, especially who hire, like how do you feel about this candidate? Does she make you feel good? And if you hesitate, that's not the person for you. Mm. So go with your, go with always your go gut, with, you gut Always feeling. go with your gut. Because mm. you're talking about your children. You're talking about your mm. children. And mm. we just... It's it's intuition. Parents just, you, you kind of know if it's going to be okay. Ruka Curate is talking with us on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. By the way, you want to join the discussion, you can. Our number here at The Fan is 
888-666-6666. We'll have more with Ruka as we continue this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We're in discussion with Ruka Curate on our program and talking with her in her role as a former nanny. She is also the proprietor of Tiny Treasures NYC on the web at Tiny Treasures. It's with an S N Y C, all is one word, dot com. And she's talking with us on our program. She is here in studio with us. I mentioned the fact that if you want to, you can join the discussion, WFAN's toll-free line, 877-337-6666. It's brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. Plan your stay at mohegansun.com. And let's squeeze in somebody here on the phone. Uh, Let's go to Mike in Manhattan, who's joined us. Mike, thanks for calling. Welcome to the fan. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Ruka. Ruka, I'm actually interested in becoming a Manny. I, I love babies. I love being around babies. I don't have children. In fact, I live by the motto, the greatest joy in life is putting a smile on a baby's face. <laughs> That's do you, awesome. Do you have a phone number for your agency? Um, we do. Um, it's 646-290-5566. Again, 646-290-5566. that's 646-290-5566. 5566? Yes. Thank you. And do you hire Mannies? We do hire Mannies. We just ask that you have experience working with children and great references and, you know, a clean background. You know, just going back to, like, the whole vetting because we will we will vet you. Yeah, well, I've never been a Manny or Nanny, but I'm great with babies and children. I definitely have a clean background. I understand you said you have to be CPR certified to be a, a Absolutely. Manny or a Nanny. It's, and it's really easy to be CPR certified and get first aid um, certification and as much other qualifications as possible. So if you have early childhood education is a plus, if you've worked in a school is a plus, as much exposure that you have to children would make it easy for you to transition into this career. Okay, Ruka, thanks a lot. Thank you, Bob. No Thank problem. You. Thank you for your Thank call. Thank you, Mike. Mike. Interesting. Uh, now, this gets into an area that you mentioned at the very beginning of our discussion when – Use the, I used the term nanny, and you said nanny or manny. Yes. Okay? <laughs> and this term we started hearing a, a number of years back more often. How popular has that become? Very popular. A lot of it is just because, you know, sometimes it's nice to, it, it's nice to just have someone who's going to come in and fill a role. Nannies mm-hmm. come in, and again, they're an extension of your parenting team. And for example, a lot of single moms or fathers who are really, really busy hire Mannies, someone who can come in and play sports with the kids and um, take them and and are creating the same type of enriched and engaging environment as a nanny. So many of the clients that we have had that have hired Mannies are usually because, you know, they themselves may be a same-sex couple, like two females, and they just want a male role model around for their children or a single mom who wants a male role model around for their children or just parents who just want a really athletic guy for their children because they're busy. So it's become really, really popular. But the same 
skills are required. You need to be an individual that loves children, want to make this your career or something you can do for a long period of time. You're devoted to helping the children and you're creating, again, an environment where you're meeting their developmental needs and you are a positive influence in their life. When you go back to the discussion about the hiring process or vetting process, Let's say in in interview. All right, I, I got to ask you this because this is something that very often comes up in job interview situations these days. You have somebody who comes in; they're interested or express an interest in this. In the age of technology, yeah, that person's phone goes off. Mm. And they answer it, or all of a sudden they stop what's going on to read or send a text. I'm assuming that's going to be an automatic red flag. It's not. It's People have this idea, and, and I know nannies don't like this. They're like, I'm an adult. This is my phone. I should be able to communicate with the outside world. What you don't understand is that this is your career. You are in the care of a child where in a split second, anything can happen. And you can go from a really great, for example, if they're in a playground where the child is happy and playing to you looking down at your phone, sending a text, and he has fallen and broken his ankle just that quickly. And you're, you can't do it in any other profession. You cannot take a phone call in the middle of a board meeting. You cannot take a phone call in the middle of surgery. And that's what you have to understand that this, if you're going to be a professional, be a professional. You cannot spend time on the phone. It, and in the age of technology, it's just, it just becomes something like, oh, you know, I'm just going to sit here and, you know, text in. You can't do that. I, it's a really big red flag if we're interviewing a candidate and sh- her cell phone isn't off. Like, I will have that nanny go through our, our agency. It's just a really big pet peeve of mine. The same thing with, with technology, especially with the vetting system. Um, and I know we talked about it. A lot of people feel like they can, you know, you know, doctor, you know, their experiences, you know, and that's that's the issue with technology. Now you can sit there and say, like, yes, I've worked here. And if you want to call my reference, she's moved to China. And I have called references (laughs) in Japan and I have Skyped references in London. So it doesn't matter where this individual that you worked for is. We want to speak to them because, and that, and, and that's the issue. And that's what's changed in the nanny world, right? There was a time where you could just sit there and if you wanted to become a nanny, someone would recommend you, you needed no references and you start the job. And those were the good old days because you didn't have, you know, individual individuals who would go into the situation taking advantage or hurting the children. These were just people who loved working with children. Nowadays, again, because of the way the nanny world works and how, you know, positive and lucrative a career it can be for the right person, you have individuals who are like, I'm going to just ask 
you know, different people to be references for me and I'm going to get this job. And this is where, you know, verifying is really important because this person may not have the experience they say they have. So please check references. You know, what we do is that we work with a private investigator to help us with our references. Meaning if I'm not really sure about one of the individuals my team has spoken to, like, hmm, I don't know if this reference is real. We'll check out to make sure the reference is real. Like, we'll check that this isn't an individual that's related to the nanny. We'll check to make sure that this person actually exists. Because people use, you know, social media to find their nannies nowadays, mm. like Facebook. Mm. People use, um, you know, um, you know, a lot of the nanny boards to find a nanny. And because you can hide behind the Internet, you could pretend to be anyone you want to be. And that's something that... I don't recommend. I recommend that if you do not find a nanny through a close family friend or someone you actually know, you know, use another resource to help you search and vet and verify this individual. All right. I need to ask this. I I hesitate to go this route, but I'm going to in the age in which we live, uh, too. Have you heard of instances where those who have been accused of uh, criminally or found guilty of crimes involving children. And here I'm talking about people who fall in the category of being sex offenders. Where they have tried to enter the profession? No. it's. I mean, I could see an instance where they would try, but in most cases, and I've spoken to numerous background agencies because again we work with a couple who even one in um california um because california has a different vetting system than new york where you know most of the nannies have to be fingerprinted and um, they go through a much rigorous um vetting system than we do where even in her 30 40 years she has found that there was only two people in i mean thousands of people that she has vetted that popped up on the sex offenders list. And usually it's because of something really, really weird and Mm -hmm. mental issues. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, a a mom who, you know, just likes to breastfeed her child for a really, really long time and the child is like 10 and she's in the system. But because a lot of the individuals that are usually sex offenders are men and there are not a lot of men in the nanny industry and they're vetted way tougher than women are like manny's go through a much higher uh, i mean a much harder vetting system than um, nannies do because of the chances that this person may be a sex offender or individual that you know has you know i can't say weird but terrible feelings towards children it it makes it hard and what we've learned in the nanny industry especially most nanny agencies is that you won't see an individual who is a sex offender or a criminal go through and try to get a position through a nanny agency because they know we're gonna, you know, most of us are gonna do our background check and our research. What about the mental health area? Because this often comes up as a discussion point and I guess it's also gets into kind of a touchy area uh, too. Yeah. Because that's a very broad term. 
it is a very it is a very broad term, but I think it's important and we've we've offered it to clients where if you have a nanny that you really like and you can do so, have them take a mental health evaluation. There's nothing wrong with it. Most nannies are okay with it. Most positions you need it in order for you to be, you know, qualified for like police officers get it. Some teachers get it. Um, definitely when you join the army, you get it. But I feel like in some cases, especially when a nanny may, you know, show signs of, you know, depression or she shows signs of self-doubt. This is an individual you may want to see is and you may want to check out whether or not she is qualified or comfortable or stable enough mentally to take care of your children the same way like we know that if we interview a nanny and we're asking her questions and she doesn't show any confidence when she's like well i don't really know if i can do the job or i really don't know what i want to do with my life or I, i'm not really sure um if i can do this those are small red flags for us and we're not sure this is the type of person we want to recommend to our clients. And when a parent, even even when if you're interviewing someone to like take care of your your children or your dog or anything, you want to know if this person is is just stable. It's, mm -hmm. it's just mentally stable. And there's nothing wrong with um mental health evaluation. People look down at it because they're like, well, you know. If I say something wrong, does it disqualify me automatically? You have medical personnel now trained to understand that based on certain questions answered, this person may not be fit for a specific job. And that's okay. It, it's, it's because we don't understand what type of stressors can be created that will make you snap, will make you hit a child. How patient are you? I know how patient I was as a nanny. I'm not that patient with my daughter. I you know because there I just noticed that there are certain things like when she cries it makes me kind of sad and I know that I I lose my patience and I have to walk out the room. And I'm like, you know what? I I I know this isn't the moment for me and my husband will come in and help me in that situation. But I know this and I walk out of that situation. If you're doing a job and you're not you're you're not comfortable and let's say the child does something that annoys you or makes you angry. How are you going to respond? Not a lot of people know how they're going to respond if the child knocks down all of her food. They may hit the child. Like, how were you raised? These questions are important. Like, were you spanked as a child? Mm -hmm. Are you going to do the same thing as a nanny? You know, were you screamed at? Are you going to do the same thing as a nanny? And those questions are important to ask as a parent or have a professional acts the candidate that you are interested in. Mm. Very interesting uh, discussion. You covered a lot of areas in our chat with Ruka Curate uh, on our program on the fan of this hour. Final question for you. Um, somebody comes to the interview situation. What impression does their attire make? Oh, <laughs> Very big impression. I You have it where in this day and age, you hear all these stories about nannies sleeping with husbands, and um, which isn't always the case. Not every nanny does that. And you'll have it where someone is just like, if the nanny's too beautiful, that may not be the person I want in my home because who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, she may, you know, it may be something scary. But I think it's really important to understand that 
being a nanny is a profession and there's just certain things you just can't wear and you have to just make sure that you go there comfortable and you look professional and everything is great but don't go there in a tank top or a bathing suit or really tight yoga pants make the parents feel comfortable about who you are Sorry there, Brian. Okay. Tiny <laughs> Treasures with an S, NYC.com, the uh, website for your firm. Thank you very much for no joining problem. us. No Very interesting discussion. That's hour one of our program this Thank Sunday you for morning. Me. And you have a good day as well. sitting thinking what is my one thing I may have to get back to you on that one well good morning everybody this is Bob Salter on our program on Sunday mornings we like to have a, a good time also bring you interesting uh, discussions I have a feeling this next hour of our program will be a doozy of a discussion. Unfortunately, in a way, it's a very timely discussion to have. And I'm very pleased to say that we have a good guest who is uh, joining us. He is a doctor, and that's with the PhD, Jerome Corsi. He is uh, the author of a, a new book entitled Killing the Deep State, The Fight to Save President Trump comes our way from uh, Humanix Books. It's actually uh, coming out on the uh, 13th of this month officially. Um, Dr. Corsi is an investigative uh, journalist. Uh, he is the author of several New York Times bestsellers previously. And he is joining us in uh, the aftermath of that awful school shooting in um, South Florida. We're going to be talking about one of the topics that has come up in discussion in the aftermath of uh, that school shooting, and that is this idea of whether or not it's a good idea to arm qualified, willing teachers and staff. Dr. Corsi, first of all, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Uh, Bob, great to be with you. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased that you are joining us on our program this morning. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions in beginning this discussion. I have a feeling our phones are probably going to explode with people wanting to jump in on the discussion. But I'd like, first of all, to get your reaction when you heard of the shooting in Parkland, Florida. Well, of course, my reaction was uh, to be horrified by it. The idea of a shooter, an active shooter coming into a school and killing children, even one, let alone 17 children as were killed in Florida, uh, to any parent has to be just the most awful nightmare you could ever imagine happening to you. Uh, no one wants to lose a child. Uh, the grief you feel hearing this and the your heart goes out. And um, I want to express to start my uh, my sincere sympathy and, and grief for those families who are suffering and my hope that they find 
some way to have strength to get through this issue and understand a purpose beyond this tragedy. And that's not easy when you stop and think about it. I mean, think of the coverage in the past week of just the kids going back to school and emotionally what that must have been like. What can we do to try to get a handle on this? I mean, it's amazing the number of shootings, first of all, that take place in this country. But the really troubling aspect of the discussion has been the explosion in school shoot, school shootings, basically all over the country. What can we do to get a handle on it? Well, and, and my goal in this discussion and in the subject is to make sure that we have fewer, hopefully n- zero, none, of school shootings ever again. I want to prevent them. I want to see that this does not happen. And um, the concern I have starts with the fact of the response time that it takes for any police, even the best police, to respond to a shooting emergency. Um, and I, I, in the 1980s, I did a lot of work with the State Department on terrorism. I had a top-secret clearance as a consultant to the State Department. I didn't work as an employee, but as a consultant. And what we found out was that, you know, hardening a target is one of the primary steps you've got to take, uh, both to prevent and handle one of these shootings if it were to occur. But the point is that even in the first few seconds of one of these shooting incidents, lives are going to be lost. And if there isn't a, first of all, an ability hopefully to screen people out from coming to this school to shoot students. And secondly, if a shooter does get into the school, to respond quickly. Uh, It's why I've suggested and and argued that we need to have both armed guards at the school's entrances and, as a secondary measure, those who are on staff or teachers who are qualified and willing uh, could receive training and become able to handle uh, concealed carry as an additional measure of safety in the school. You know, on the surface, I think to myself, isn't it sad that we're in the state where we even have to have this kind of discussion? But on the second blush, I think, hey, this is the world we're in today. And we got to do something. Well, I've also spent a considerable amount of time in Israel and uh, have worked with the government in Israel and, and interviewed many in the government. And in Israel, the, you'll see military, even off-duty, uh, carrying in the streets their automatic weapons. Uh, you will see in the restaurants, in the schools, in any public building, um, armed guards. Uh, there, there is concealed carry. In, in certain instances, and if something happens in almost anywhere in Israel, there's someone to respond almost immediately. And um, Israel has had to harden targets, including you know, building, building a serious wall. And um, it, it has made Israel safer. Uh, it, it, it is, in a sense, regrettable, Bob, that we have to have this discussion. And, and 
the reality is we've got to deal with the world as it is, and hardening targets and thinking about security are important measures to the safety of everyone, not just our children, but ourselves. What about metal detectors? Uh, I, I think they're uh, useful, and I think they're good, and in and, and most instances, uh, security requires metal detectors. Now, in schools, you may not, if there's going to be some resistance to having the kids go through a metal detector every day they come into school. Uh, I think if, if the school is in a serious risk area or a serious risk target, then metal detectors are a good idea. But certainly having guards and screening of who comes into the school um, at entrances and having secured entrances and exits so you can't just at will come in and out of the building, school building, uh, you've got to take the measures to make sure you're, you, you are watching and inspecting and have an ability to stop those who are coming uh, into the school. I mean, it's kind of similar to a train situation. For instance, in New York, we have, you go through Penn Station, you're going to see armed military, heavily armed with automatic weapons. But there's not necessarily a metal detector to get onto the subway system at this point. And maybe, hopefully, it will never be necessary. But if the target develops, then you have to take the additional security measures and Certainly, metal detectors are on the list. What have you thought of the response that there has been even to the idea of, you know, staff and teachers who are qualified being armed? I mean, there seem to be varying views on this in terms of some of the public discussion in the aftermath of the shooting in South Florida. Well, Bob, I expect there's going to be resistance on certain people who really believe that teachers' jobs are to teach and they don't want them diverted to become law enforcement. Uh, there's going to be certain teachers who feel that uh, it's inappropriate or uh, there should not be weapons at all anywhere in the school. Uh, I would say that it, it's if, if a concealed carry program is going to be implemented in a school on staff and teachers, it has to be with those who are willing and qualified. I mean, I think of the many who are veterans or former law enforcement who go into teaching as a second career, who certainly would be qualified, are certainly trained in handling weapons responsibly, and could conceivably enter a program of concealed carry without it being you know, required of all teachers or all staff or those who have had no weapons training in their prior lives. So I think it has to be done selectively. But the fact that there's someone in the school with concealed carry in increases the risk to a shooter that they don't really know if this is a safe environment in which to shoot. And um, I want to stress that a gun-free zone to a psychologically disturbed, you know, a psychopath who's going to want to find a place to go kill students. It, it, it looks like a, um, it looks like an open target. It looks like a, a playground. Like this is the, it's, you know, it says shooters apply here. And you don't want to have your school 
being billed as an easy target. I think that's one of the critical lessons coming out of these shootings. Interesting discussion that we are having with uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi on our program. We've really just started this discussion. What we'll do, too, is um, open things up on the phones at 877-337-6666. You want to join this discussion, uh, have some comments that are on point you want to share with us, speak with uh, Dr. Corsi, you can as we continue with him. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program, and Ed Randall's Talking Baseball follows our 9 o'clock update. Here on the fan. It's Sunday morning on the fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. After our eight o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program here on the fan. You want to join us in the discussion with Dr. Jerome Corsi? Uh, you can at 877 337 6666. That is WFAN's toll free number. It is brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. Plan your stay at mohegansun.com. As I mentioned, Dr. Corsi is an investigative journalist. He's the author of a, a new book entitled Killing the Deep State, the Fight to Save President Trump. It is uh, published by Humanix Books. It's uh, coming out on the 13th of this month, as I understand, and we'll talk a little bit about that book in just a little bit. But let's see if we can take a couple of phone calls here, Dr. Corsi. As I imagined, you've sparked some interest with um, your comments Let's go to the phones first. Let's go to uh, Joe, who is in Maplewood, New Jersey. Joe, thanks for calling. Welcome to the fan. Hi, how you doing? Uh, very well. Um, I just wondered, I, uh, Bob, I'm a big fan of your show. But I don't know why you would have Dr. Corsi on. He's, he's written some very uh, controversial things that are mostly baseless. He wrote a whole book questioning Barack Obama's birth certificate, and he works for Alex Jones, who's a known conspiracy theorist. I just think... His uh, credentials are way, way below uh, credible, and I think a lot of people who know his work know that. So I'm just surprised you would have him on, and I'm a little disappointed as a long-time listener. Well, thank so. you for your viewpoint on that and for express, expressing your view. That's part of the reason why we have the phones open here. Did you have a specific question? No, I just think okay. uh, his his background shows that his credibility is very questionable, and I would just wonder why you would take his word on this kind of issue, given his ties to to birtherism and, and Alex Jones, who's a very discredited uh, uh, broadcaster and, and conspiracy theorist. And so, thanks. Thank you for your call this morning, all right, and for your observation. Um, let's see. Next up is, uh, let's see, stay in New Jersey. Let's go to Joe in Oldbridge. Joe, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Morning, sirs. Uh, very, uh, very uh, hard concerning uh, topic today. I have good concerns about arming personnel in school. That puts more firearms in people's hands, and I think what we're trying to do is eliminate them in schools. So I, 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 asked, the do I asked the doctor, is there technology that would require an audible disarmament, a siren alarm or something, or something of that nature? Well, I guess you could go to uh, technology that would be like tasers, or um, there are some sound devices to try to disable shooters, but it disables almost everyone. Um, nothing's going to be as effective as having um, concealed carry or weapons responsibly uh, on site with those who are considered law enforcement or in authority. Um, there are, there are in-between measures you can take. 
but I think ultimately they're just got not going to be as secure. And again, I point to um, Israel, some of the instances which you know I've studied and looked at. Uh, there's been these um, construction attacks, a bulldozer, someone will get in a bulldozer and try to run it into a crowd. Uh, they're almost instantly shot or restrained in one way or another because there are people around in the Israeli society uh, almost pervasively who are armed responsibly, and it does put a different atmosphere in terms of someone who is deranged thinking to do a homicidal act of violence. Yes, but doctor, that does not prevent from future shootings. That's a response to shooting. We're trying to prevent shooting. Uh, I agree, and I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is to the degree a potential shooter knows that a target is hardened, that is a restraint, that is a preventative. It, it doesn't eliminate them altogether. And, and I think that the issue that a lot of people are going to have to deal with is that, yes, it's it'd be ideal if we just say let's, no one has any guns, we eliminate all weapons. But even in the cities where we have the most severe gun control laws, cities like Chicago or Washington, D.C., uh, ironically, the murder rates are somewhat of the highest. And you don't eliminate gun violence by trying to eliminate guns, unfortunately. The solution is to make sure targets are hardened and that there is effective law enforcement. Uh, you even see that in politicians. All politicians or all celebrities want armed guards because they know it's really the only preventative from them being shot themselves. Yes, but schools aren't embassies, and they aren't, you know, it's a, it's a place of, you know, education and, 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 if anything, shelter for children. I just wouldn't want to see them fortify schools like well, I, barriers. I, I understand your reluctance. I mean, I really do, and I sympathize with it. I mean, I understand, uh, ideally, you wouldn't have any weapons anywhere. You know, we wouldn't even have to have um, military with weapons, but these issues, I think, are just part of, unfortunately, human nature, and we have to deal with human nature as it is, including evil and deranged people. So, you know, I, I, I appreciate the sensitivity of bringing up the subject, but I think it's important enough to save lives that this perspective needs to be seriously considered. That's why I'm advancing the idea. Joe, thank you for your call and your patience on the phone this morning, too. Alrighty. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. Uh, next up, we go to Brooklyn to Helena. Helena Hi. Um, first of all, thank you so much. The first time I hear somebody saying everything that's true. For some reason, Americans are still living in the 1950s. For some reason, they just cannot get into the 2018s. I mean, come on, wake up. I agree with all the methods mentioned, like armed guards, concealed carrying weapons, detectors. Listen, these are our children. We're living in a different age. However, I do want to say something. This terrible person who committed this awful, awful crime, from what I understand, I hope I have this right, is he came, his mother was a drug addict. This is a child of a drug addict, so maybe we should talk about that. Number two, he joins white supremacist groups that deal and talk against others, instigate hate of other people. Maybe we should stop allowing freedom of expression where it affects other people. And number three, that I think is very important, is to bring back a moment of silence where children have to be taught that there is an eye that sees and an ear that hears everything you do. 
You just don't get away with it. So these are my comments for preventive. Uh, the uh, issue of drugs, I think, is an extremely important one and needs to be um, taken very seriously. We are today, uh, unfortunately, doing a lot of providing drugs to kids in schools for uh, for behavioral problems, uh, many of which I think may be over-prescribed. And then it's kids who are more disturbed or have more problems. Again, the easy psychological or psychiatric solution is to pre- prescribe a drug. And sometimes these drugs provided to adolescents on prescription basis have very serious side effects, which include suicidal and even homicidal thoughts being encouraged. And I think we really need to take a much more responsible uh, position and limit the amount or try to get the psychologists and psychiatrists to understand that we want to prescribe these drugs in very, very limited cases. And when they are prescribed, uh, the kids taking them, especially adolescents, have got to be very seriously watched and monitored so they don't develop these kind of violent behaviors. Yeah, but his mother was a drug addict. Oh, I know. I mean, so, it was the, the, when you read the history of some of these uh, kids who become sh- sh- uh, shooters, it's a tragedy. They've gone through all kinds of things, and, you know, parents and uh, drugs in their family, abuse. I mean, there's uh, the tragedies that many of these youth are going through are also heartbreaking. But the solution is not going to be for psychiatrists and psychologists just to prescribe drugs. There's got to be a more serious attempt to identify the problems and deal with them in a more responsible manner because the drugs with these side effects do increase the risk that some of these kids are going to become violent. And what do you think about stopping these supremacist groups or the uh, Allah Akbar groups uh, or these mosques from preaching hate because under the name of freedom? I mean, this is not freedom. This is costing us lives. I think we have to revamp all our thinking of what America is all about. It's not any more than 1950s. Well, I mean, I agree with you. I think no one is going to support hate speech or terrorist speech. I think that's going to be, you know, abhorrent to everyone. We've got to be a tolerant society. We've got to accept differences. We've got to accept various points of view. Uh, I would encourage you to think, though, that the to understand that these very, very disturbed adolescents who are especially on these powerful psychoactive drugs uh, are going to find violent themes uh, somewhere or other. It doesn't take much in this society today, whether it's a video game or a, a television show or a movie produced in Hollywood. There's plenty of ways they can latch on to violence. The idea is you're going to have to anticipate that if they're disturbed and especially being prescribed these drugs, you're going to increase the risk of violence. You better as a responsible therapist, understand this and deal with that issue directly and honestly. All right, Helena, thank you for your call this morning. We're going to move on to our next call, which is Rich in Connecticut. Rich, thanks for holding on. Welcome to the fan. Welcome. Uh, Great discussion this morning. And I think one of the areas that we don't really talk about when we talk about gun violence is the fact that we've eliminated so much of the spiritual spiritual, uh, factor in the equation with these kids today. Uh, as a pastor, most of the kids I deal with, I used to deal with issues where kids would come to church and have to be trained and broken up some bad habits, and today these kids really have no spiritual background at all. 
and we throw them into a world where they don't know how to function or adjust. And I, a big part of this is what you guys had talked about, too, is the big pharma industry, where the solvent or salvation for most of these industries professionals is to put the kids in some kind of drug which has more side effects than the actual problem you're addressing. And I just want to tell Dr. Corsi, you do a tremendous job, and I've heard you on different functions. And, and when you talk about these types of issues, you really need to point these types of things out because uh, it's really a big portion of what we've done in our country where we've eliminated the spiritual portion from our children's life and give them that confidence that they have something greater than themselves to fall back upon. Uh, I, really, I really want to second what the panel just said. It's a very important thought. I mean, we're just going through the Billy Graham's passing and the his life being celebrated with his uh, wake in the rotunda, which is a great honor. Uh, a spiritual life is very important to me, and it has been a stalwart throughout all the crises I've dealt with in my life, and I think others have. We, Rich, Family. Thank, Rich, hang on for a second. Rich, thank you for your call. We're picking up some noise thank on you. your phone line. Phone line yeah. there. Okay, I'll let you go. Okay. Um, family and morals and uh, God, I think, are fundamental to our existence here as human beings. Uh, we are all here for a short time. We're all going to die. We all suffer crises in our lives, and the spiritual element, uh, being able to find solace and understanding through these difficulties, which we're all inevitably going to face, uh, is something that we're losing in our society today. And I think it does increase the chances of violence or um, behavior that is outside the normal. So I, I want to second what the pastor said. I think God, morals, family, ultimately these are much more the solution than drugs. Our guest in uh, this hour of our program on The Fan is Dr. Jerome Corsi. He is uh, talking with us. We're in a discussion talking about this uh, discussion of whether or not to arm qualified, willing teachers and staff. And we'll get into taking more of your calls. Um, a number of folks on hold. Teddy and Yonkers, we'll start with you when we uh, continue with Dr. Corsi. After our 8 o'clock update, it is Rick Wolf, who is along with the Sports Edge program. And Ed Randall will be by. He'll be talking baseball after our 9 o'clock update this Sunday morning. It's Ed Randall's Talking Baseball that follows our 9 o'clock update. The Rick Wolf Sports Edge is along after our 8 o'clock update on The Fan. We're talking with Dr. Jerome Corsi on our program this Sunday morning and talking with him about this topic of whether or not to arm qualified, willing teachers and staff. A lot of folks have wanted to weigh in on this topic 877-337-6666 is our phone number. Let's go back to the phone. And we go to Teddy, who has been holding forever in Yonkers. Teddy, thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Uh, fortunately, if there was a referendum in New York State and the country about whether or not to have guns, armed teachers or armed staff in the schools, it would be voted down overwhelmingly, Dr. I'm a teacher for 46 years in New York City. You can't tell me what would be what would be successful in New York City and the rest of the country. I don't know if you've ever been in an urban high school or even in a suburban high school, junior high also. 
So if you don't have any experience in this, you shouldn't be qualified to make a determination of what should be used. That's my first point. Bob, my second point, to have, I agree with the, one of the, the very first caller you had, mm -hmm. to have someone on here who represents the antithesis of what most people in this country feel about is really a shame, and I'm really surprised of you, Bob. I agree with that first caller that you have a gentleman, I don't even know, want to call him a gentleman, of this stature on, on the air espousing these viewpoints. And once again, I don't mind having security guards in the schools at all, like they do in New York City. But they should be, there should be one entrance to every school in America, and there should be a guard there, and they should have, make sure that they have ID, and there should be metal detectors. The doctor never brought that up. New York City, Bob, we have metal detectors in the schools, and there should be metal detectors mandatory in every school in the country, and that's what I have to say. Teddy, I guess you didn't hear earlier when I asked the doctor specifically about the idea of metal detectors in schools, and he did actually respond on that point. But okay. thank, thank you for your patience on the phone, and thank you for expressing how you feel. Okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, we go to Louie in Long Beach. Louie's been holding forever as well. Louie, thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I think one idea that would be a little bit different, a little bit different of a viewpoint would be bringing the 8th, 9th, and 10th, and 11th graders to make school prison visits and see what a prison living is really like. I guarantee you'll minimize these shootings. What's happening here is that Trump wants to make America great again. I think we need to make America safe again. And that's my opinion. Okay. I'll let uh, Dr. Corsi, if he wants to, respond to that on the air. Thank you for your call and your comment this morning, Dr. Corsi. Well, I think any sensitivity that you can uh, bring to young, at least adolescents, I'm not sure for the younger kids, but adolescents, of an awareness of you know, what prison is, what uh, crime is really about, of the uh, the horrendous consequences of crime, uh, is a lesson that's a good lesson, uh, bringing them to, to the prisons for site visits is a subject I have not thought deeply about. But uh, my initial reaction is, it, if done properly, it might have some sensitivity benefit for certain of the kids in schools. I'm not sure it needs to be a universal experience. And it's a little bit off topic, but I certainly did appreciate the uh, considering the idea. It's a thought worth considering at another time more seriously. Right. Let's go back to the phone, 877-337-6666. We have Mark, who's been holding for a long time in the Bronx. Mark, thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Hi, uh, how are you doing today, Bob? All right, and yourself? Um, doing okay. I, I definitely wanted to. This, I'm a sports fan. I never really talked about sports before, but uh, I, I definitely wanted to weigh in on this topic because this is much more important than a baseball game. So uh, I just wanted to talk to you. All right. What do you want to say? My cousins live in Israel. My cousins served in the Israeli army. In Israel, they have to bring their M16 home because at any point, war may bring out, break out. 
and my cousin's 11-year-old sister found her M16 under the bed and was playing with it in the evening. It wasn't that my cousin didn't put the weapon away properly or something like that, but when you bring weapons onto campus, you're only going to have more of a chance of some kid, not because that they're violent, but they're playing. And they don't think that it's, they don't realize that it's not a game. So I don't see how putting more guns on campus would help the situation. Dr. Corsi, would you like to respond? Well, I mean, it, clearly we have to have um, education on safe handling of weapons and you know, matches can cause fires. We don't eliminate matches. We teach children not to play with matches. Uh, pulling fire alarms is a bad and seriously criminal idea. We teach kids that those are for emergencies, not for fun. Uh, we need to educate children and in general about the various things in life that are risky and how to handle them correctly. So uh, I appreciate and grieve any anyone who dies from an accidental handling of a weapon, but it can be prevented with proper training and should be a rare instance if it occurs at of all. Of course it's a rare instance, but when you put more weapons on where children are, it's going to, I mean, it's going to cause more, not less. I, I think it increases the need to do responsible training uh, in general. So... You're going to train kids at five, six, seven. How how old do they have to be? Well, and if there's matches, you begin training them very young, and kids can handle this kind of training. So I would say it's that don't don't. My, I didn't my, let my daughter have access to matches. I mean, it's not it's not like a toy. Uh, the my interest in making the point of the need to consider having armed carries, concealed carry, by responsible teachers, responsible staff, well-trained, is to prevent these mass shooting instances in which we're losing. But it doesn't, but, but open uh, I've made my point, and I appreciate what you're saying. Mass shootings as states like New York. So Florida is an open carry state. Mm -hmm. There was an armed deputy on campus that did not prevent that shooting. That's yet another issue. Mark, well, yes. Mark, I think you've made your points here. Thank um, you. Thank so you very much, guys. Thank you very much for making them, for your patience on the phone as well. We'll get to some more folks, hopefully, as we continue this Sunday morning. Sunday morning on the fan. Ed Randall's Talking Baseball follows our 9 o'clock update. Rick Wolf Sports Edge is along after the top of the hour update at 8 o'clock. We're in a discussion with uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. And let's see if we can do a few more folks here on the phones. Uh, back to John in uh, Monmouth Junction, New Jersey. John, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning. Um, like always, excellent program. A Thank absolutely you. excellent. Thank but, you. Doctor, I, this is a specific uh, question for the doctor. I mean, you know what Occam's razor is. Please, that is, the, that is the, the, the answer, just like nine out of ten times, that is the answer. The simplest answer is usually the best one. 
we had, we have to have not. I understand about the Second Amendment, but at that time when the Second Amendment was written, they had flintlocks. So it takes like five minutes or ten minutes to actually get these things going. They were there. The Second Amendment was actually given so that, as you know, was given so that uh, the government can't, you know, be very bad. But please, for kids, you don't give more guns in the area. It's like it's it's it just sounds crazy. Uh, I mean, when you think about it, it just sounds crazy when your excuse is is uh, something like, well. It's our liberty. No, these kids—they're in—they're in environments with guns. It's just not logical. I mean, am I wrong about this? The simplest answer is to just make sure that a kid who's crazy, like that other kid, not have the gun. But your the answer here from a lot of professionals is, you know, let's uh, let's teach around them. Let's give them education. Let's get them health care, uh, you know, mental care, but that's just throwing a dart at a, at, a, at a target and not hitting it on the head. I'm sorry for taking this up. Um, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your call and your passionate uh, comments there, John. Would you like to respond, Dr. Corsi? Well, it was a pretty far-reaching and, and many different areas covered there, and it probably beyond the scope. I'd rather get more callers in, but I think the point I want to make is that um, we're we're talking about a very limited subject here. We're talking about uh, getting qualified do- uh, teachers and staff to be able to have uh, concealed carry under supervised and proper training and qualified uh, to, to to be able to have a concealed weapon. So I'm really making a limited point here. I'm really not addressing the whole Second Amendment, and I think that's probably far beyond what we want to get into today. I tend to agree with you because, believe me, we could go for hours literally right, on exactly. that. All right, back to the phone. We go to Jerome, or I'm sorry, to Jermaine on Long Island. Jermaine, thanks for holding on. Welcome to the fan. How are you guys doing this morning? Well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, a few things I want to touch on real quick, if I can. Um, one, I, I, I'm okay with if, some, if a teacher wanted to carry the field. I don't think we have to mandate every teacher to do it. Or I'm okay with security. Like, it's, like if the president's kid is in school, how do they protect the president's kids? They don't take away the guns from the president's kids' schools. Like they got they got armed people all around the school. So why can't our kids be secure or like that and be surrounded by guns, right? But my thing is, to me, is a little deeper because we keep making it seem like well, medication can help people or mental illness, and I just feel like life in itself. It's just evil, and you can't legislate. To me, I don't think you can legislate, put a law to stop make people be good people. You know, religion can't do it. There's a million religions that say if you do this, this is going to happen to you in the afterlife. People are still bad people. If you, you know, if you say, well, I'm going to do this type of background, you know, like we has been illegal. People still smoke it. You know, a lot of things that we have right now that's illegal, people still do. So. Legislation is not the answer. The problem with, to me, with society, it's not. It, the problem is, people say the root of the, all evil is money. I just think we have emotions, and as long as we have emotions as humans, 
There's going to be evil in this world. People are going to do bad things. When you have jealousy, when you have hate, when you have envy, to me, that's the most important thing because we have emotion. So we're never going to have this society that people think that we're going to have. Where, uh, look, we're going to take away all the guns. Let's take away all the guns, knives, cars, airplanes, and everything so that we can have a safe life. Nobody gets hit by a drunk driver. Nobody gets shot by. Let's just take away all of the technology and just go back to the, the old days, and we're still going to have evil. We're still going to have hate. You guys, right. Somebody's going to get killed by a rock. Like, Jermaine, how are we going to survive? Jermaine, so how are we going to change Jermaine. the world? The world? Yes. Okay, take a break there. Okay, we've got to okay. run here. Thank you very much for your call this morning. Very passionate, obviously. A lot of passion from folks listening to us uh, this morning. Our thanks to uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi for joining us on our program. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, thank you, Bob, for um, raising this topic and having the program. Really appreciate it. I think you did an outstanding job. Thank you very much. Interesting discussion. And there'll be another one along after our top of the hour update when the Sports Edge happens with Rick Wolf. You know where. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.